I believe that some things are about to happen. I really do. I just, I'm just crazy enough to believe that, that, that God has the power to completely turn things in our lives. We're going one direction, we're seeing things one way, and then all of a sudden, something miraculous begins to happen, and a 180-degree uh, shift begins to take place in our lives. But let me tell you where it begins. It begins with what we see. It begins with how we think. It begins with what we say. As a matter of fact, there is one word. There is one word that if you don't take anything else away from this service today, if you don't hear anything else that this preacher says over the next hour and a half, if you don't hear any other word today, I want you to hear this one word, forward, forward. Would you say that word with me today? Forward. I believe strongly that God's plan for each one of us is to keep moving forward. I also believe that if we want to be a follower of Christ, that we must develop a habit of facing forward. If we want to follow Christ, we cannot live in the past. You've heard me use the, the illustration many times. I think we can't overuse it. Even the, even the vehicle manufacturers of our world understands this. They create, when they build and manufacture these cars, they make these windshields that are massive and they are huge. But guess how big the rear view mirror is? It's about this big. It's intended for us not to keep our focus there, but to keep our focus on where we're going. Every now and then, we have to glance back just to make sure that, that, that there's nothing fixing to plow into the back of us or whatever. But what we, are, we are to be looking forward and looking ahead. We cannot live in the past. Faith, faith does not live in the past. Faith is always looking to the future. Developing a habit of facing forward means that we must be looking forward. We must be thinking forward. We must be talking forward. And we must be living forward. My prayer today is that each one of us, individually, that we as a church body, we will always, as believers, we will always be facing forward forward facing forward and with God's help I hope that we will all be a people who are focused on the future always focused on the future and not on the past a church we must be a church a church family a church body we must be a people who are always full of expectation we're always full of anticipation and hope and faith and confidence that the best days are not behind us but that our best days individually and as a church body, as a corporate body, for the church of the living God across the earth today, that, we are, that our best days are in front of us. I get so sick and tired of hearing the negative among the Christian church that says we're going to hell in a handbasket and the world's falling apart. The world is falling apart, but the darker the world is, the brighter the church will shine. I refuse to fall into the mully grubs with the rest of the world and be just like them. We are in this world, but we are not of this this world and the the church the days of the, of the church that our, our days ahead of us are much greater than the days that are behind us one of the constant themes throughout scripture is the theme of facing forward facing forward you see it all throughout scripture Philippians 3 verse 13 it says brethren I do not count myself to have apprehended 
Paul writing here, but listen to what he says next. But this one thing I do, he's putting so much emphasis. He says, there's this one thing. It's the most important thing. This is the one thing that I put all my stock in. The one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting those things which are behind. I don't, you've heard me say it many times. I don't care where you were on Saturday night. I'm just glad you're here this morning. Nobody's here to condemn you about what you were doing or where you were on Saturday night. I'm just glad you're here with hands uplifted and worshiping the Lord on Sunday morning because we're forgetting those things which are behind. And then he says, and reaching forward. Reaching, another version says, straining forward, putting forth this great effort to look and to move forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This one thing I do, I'm forgetting the past and I'm reaching forward to the things that God has in store for my future. Isaiah 43, verse 18, he says this, he says, do not remember the former things nor consider the things of old. He says, forget about the things of yesterday. Forget about those former things. Quit, quit dwelling on the things of old. Quit dwelling on those things from the past. And then he goes on into verse 19. He says, behold, I will do a new thing. But he, sa- but he, he prefaces it first. He says, I can't do this new thing in your life if you're still holding on to the former things. If you refuse to let go of yesterday, if you refuse to forget about it, Think about some of those East Coast Mafia guys with a pinky ring sitting behind the desk, the Godfather. What does he say? He says, forget about it. Forget about it. Some of us need to look at our past and just get that mean Mafia look and just say, forget about it. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a New thing. Jesus would say in Luke 9, verse 62, he says, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, I don't really know all that Jesus intended when he was speaking here, all that he meant. He didn't really elaborate a whole lot on it. But I, but, but I want to just say this for sure. I, I believe this for sure. I think he was addressing the whole idea. This whole idea that if you're looking back, you cannot go forward. If you're looking back, you cannot go forward, that you're not helpful to the service of the kingdom, that you're not helpful to the purposes of the kingdom if you're always looking in the past. The kingdom of God cannot manifest itself in our life, in our future, if we're living in yesterday. One of the greatest challenges for every one of us, one of the greatest challenges in our marriages and in our families and in our home is for us to keep looking forward. I've been guilty of it. I've been guilty of trying to hold on to offenses in the past. I've been guilty of holding on to the regrets of the past. I've been, I've been guilty of holding on to the shame and the condemnation of, of, of some of the mistakes in my past. It's one of the greatest challenges in our lives is to just simply keep looking forward. If the truth be known, every one of us as individuals, our families even, even even as family units, we're so guilty of getting stuck. I don't know if you're like me or, or like our family at times. We found ourselves in those places where we felt like we were walking through quicksand. We just kind of got stuck in a place for a little while. We started out right. 
we all started out with big dreams. We all started out with, with these great ex, this great excitement and expectation. We're going to get married. We're, we're madly in love. We're going to finish school. We're going we're to have careers. We're going to make a lot of money. We're going uh, to raise our two and a half babies, and, and we're going to have a white picket fence and a house and a minivan, and everything's going to be perfect and great, and we have all these ideas and thoughts and dreams, but somewhere along the way, some disappointment comes. Somewhere along the way, there's a trial. Somewhere along the way, there's a failure, and we get stuck in that place, and we get held back, and we get bogged down in that place, and here's the, here's the danger. The danger is not going through the stuff. We're all going to go through stuff. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to have trials and challenges and loss. We're all going to experience that. That's not the problem. The problem is that we settle in the place that we were intended to go through. God never intended for us to settle in that place, but too many times that's what we do. And then five years passes and ten years passes. Before you know it, a lifetime has passed and we're still living in that stuck place. And it was never God's intention for us to live in that place. It was only intended for us to go through that place. There's a lot of challenges that we all face in life things and issues of life that can cause us to get bogged down, that can cause us to settle in places that we were meant to go through. In Genesis chapter 11, there's a story. It's of Abraham's father, Terah. And Terah, he was on his way with his family, and they were heading to Canaan. They were heading to what would ultimately, generations later, be the promised land for the children of God. But while they were on their way to Canaan, Terah the father of Abraham and this, and this family, they would go through a city, and this city was called Haran. Haran, and rather than just simply passing through this city, Terah stopped in that city. He, for whatever reason, he made a decision to stop and, and, and go ahead and build his home, his final resting place in this city called Haran. And we don't know for sure why Terah stopped there, but what we do know is that this place was called Haran and that Terah had a son named Haran who actually died at a young age. And there's no parent, there's no family that ever loses a child that doesn't go through the greatest of heartache and the greatest of grief. There are those of us in this room who've had to experience that great hardship. I don't know that there's a greater pain that one would face in life than that. And even though we don't know it factually, it's highly likely that the reason Terah stopped and settled in this city called Haran is that he was living and he was reliving the pain of the past. I just want to encourage all of us this morning to not stop. Don't stop in places that we were meant to go through. Don't stop. I don't know who this is for today. But I feel like this is speaking to somebody in this room today that you've, you've been tempted. You've been tempted to just settle and just stop in this place that's less than, this place that's not the place, it's not the destination God had for you. It's not the plan, the ultimate plan that he has. For, he was, his plan, his intention was for us to go through this place, to gain what we needed from this dark season, to get what we, to de have developed within us what needed to be developed in us through this season. But it was to go through this place. We're all going to go through some stuff in life. It's the reality. We're going to face some challenges in life, but let's not allow ourselves to stop in those places. Don't stop. Tara might have had very good intentions 
He might have even said to himself things like, I'm just going to stay here for a few days longer. I'm just going to memorialize for a a little bit longer. There's some sentimental value here in this place. And and here's where all my memories are of my boys. So I'm just going to stay here a little bit longer. It might have all been with just good respect for the memory of his son. But then... Then he began to pour concrete. Then he began to, to build two-by-four walls. And he, he put, put the sticks up and build a house. And he began to dwell in that place. Look, we all have to go through seasons of grief. We all have to go through times and seasons where we have to work these things out in our lives. But there comes a point when we make the decision, before we start to, before we start to set the forms and pour the concrete, that we have to make a decision and say, you know what, this is a season in my life. It's not meant to last forever. I'm not going to build a house here. I'm not going to live here. God's intention is for me to go through here. A preacher once said it this way, when you're going through hell, don't stop. There's your advice for today. There's your good godly counsel today. When you're going through hell, just don't stop. Don't stop. It may not be It may not be the loss of a loved one. You may not have been the one that had to bury a son or a daughter, but we all go through things in life, and the whole idea is to get through what we're going through, not to stay there. Don't stop. David said it best in the 23rd Psalm when he says, Yea, though I walk through, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He says, I, feel, I will fear no evil because you are with me. You're with me. Even when I'm going through that, I acknowledge and recognize your presence with me. It may not always feel that way. It may not, I may not always see it. I may not always hear it. But I know I have this confidence that you are with me and I will go through the valley. I'm not going to build a house here. In other words, he was saying, my heart is not to stay in the valley. That's what David was saying. My heart's not in the valley. I'm simply here to go through this thing. I'm not going to linger in the valley. I'm not going to build a house in the valley. The good news for Abraham and his family was this, is that the story didn't end with Terah's decision. The story didn't end with Abraham's father's decision to just build a house and live and dwell and die in that place of Haran. In In fact, the Bible says in Genesis 12, Verse 1, it says, now the Lord said to Abram, he says this, he says, get out of your country. Get out of there. I know your father has has lived in this place of mourning and he's lived in this place of of grief and he's decided he's just going to camp there and live there and and spend the rest of his days there. And that's exactly where Terah would die is in in the land of Haran. But God's telling Abram, he says, but you get out of there. I didn't intend for you to stay here. I didn't intend for you to live in a place of grief. I didn't intend for you to live in a place of dwelling on yesterday and living in yesterday. Get out of there. Take your family. Get Get out of your father's house to a land that I I will show you. So he's still in Haran, and God said, let's go. Let's roll. It's time to rally the troops. Let's get out of here. There's been enough time in this place. There's been enough time living in this valley. There's been enough time living in this dark place. It's time to move. For some of us, that's all we need to know today is it's time to move. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time to move. There we go. Say it to both of them. Then I want you to listen to the promise that follows. 
Listen to the promises. As God gives him the instruction to say, I don't want you to live there. I don't want you to camp there. I don't want you to build a house there. You were intended to go through this, not to this. You're going through this. Listen to the promises that follow. Listen to the future tense that God is speaking to him. This is what's in your future. Quit looking in the past. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Listen to the promises of God. God was reiterating. God was reinforcing in his life. I got a plan. I have a future for your life. Quit looking in the past. Quit living in this place called Haran. Memorialize and, and grief grieve for the loss of your brother but but look you can't live there carry his memory with you but you can't live there I have a promised land for you I have a great place for you I'm going to increase you all the families of the earth are going to be blessed because of you but it's not going to happen if you stay in this place so let's move but it all starts Abraham with you getting up and getting through and moving on past this place that you've been and the struggle that your family's been in but here's the key. I won't go on and read, but beginning in verse 4, Abraham begins to break away from Haran. I think it's pretty awesome that he takes his nephew Lot with him. And verse 4 would begin to bear that out if you begin to read on in the story. He takes his nephew Lot with him. I think what's so key about him taking Lot with him was Lot was the son of Haran. And what Abraham was saying, what God was saying here is he tells him to take Lot, his nephew, and go with him. He says, you know what? Our father... Our father, he lived in that place, and he decided to die in that place, but we're not going to let this happen to the next generation. Yes, we lost your father, and yes, that was a hard time, and yes, we're going to honor his memory, but Lot, I can't let happen to you what happened to the former generation, so you're going with me, and we're going to the promised land, and he sets out for the land of Canaan, and he finally makes his way to the place that God had planned for them. Can I just say this right now? People who look forward, move forward. People who look forward move forward. What we look at and what we focus on always affects the direction that we go. For us to move forward, we have to look forward. We have to, we have to look with vision, with expectation, with a focus on the future and not on the past. Every one of us in this room, we all have a story. Every one of us in this room, we're all the product of, we're a sum total of everything that we've been through in life. We've all had our highs and we've all had lows. There's been setbacks and there's been comebacks and our stories have good times and they all have bad times. But the main thing that we have to remember is that no matter what, we have to keep looking forward. As I look across this room, I know, I know a lot of your stories. I know most of your stories. We'll tell you something, they are beautiful stories. I love, that, I love that line and that song that we sang this morning, gracefully broken. There's been so many of us in this room that have been gracefully broken by the grace and the, the goodness and the love of God. We've been broken, and today we stand here, and I want to tell you something, you, you inspire me. I'm inspired by the family of God here at Life Church. I'm inspired because I've been able to walk with many of you, and many of you have walked with me and my family through some of our dark hours, and we've walked through this thing together, and you inspire me so much because so many in this church family, you didn't allow yourself to just simply get stuck in that place of heartache and grief and pain, but you kept moving forward, and it inspires me. 
You inspire others, even right here in this church family. You have no idea the gravity that it has on all of us whenever, whenever you make those conscious decisions. We're looking at you. We're saying, how in the world are they even able to peel themselves out of bed in the morning? And yet here they are with uplifted hands and worshiping God and praising God. It inspires us to do the same thing. It's one thing to get up here and preach. I can do this all day long. And I mean it when I say it, but it's one thing just to, just to declare it and say it. But it's a whole nother thing whenever you see people that's facing real life and challenges and heartache. And when adversity comes in their life, there's nothing more inspiring to me than when I see the children of God who go through incredible storms of life. People who, people who have had unexpected storms hit their world and yet they keep on going they don't stop there they can't explain to you what's going on they don't have the answers to the questions and the whys in their mind but they walk by faith and they keep on trusting God and they keep on going to church and they keep on worshiping and they keep on leaning on the promises of God and they keep looking forward it's inspiring to me I believe this is one of the greatest values honestly of being a part of a church community it's one of the greatest values of being a part of a church family. I, I, I know I use their, them all the time as an example, and they probably get tired of it, and I hope, I hope not, but, but, and I don't want to embarrass them, but I look over here at Jeffrey and Robin Armstrong, and nobody's faced more physical challenges and struggles than they have, and yet week after week after week, coming into the house of the Lord, faithful to the things of God, worshiping God with everything that's within them, and yet some, some across our community will, will give no regard, and they're full of the blessings of God and full of health and full of life and will give no regard to the faithfulness of God in their life. And yet I see this, and they're, they're not the only story, but there's other stories across this room. People always point out the things that are negative and things that are wrong about the church family. And why they don't want to be a part of the church. There's nothing but hypocrites there and blah, blah, blah. Those are just excuses. Those are just excuses for them to continue to live the life that they want to live. A very selfish life. A life that has no regard for the things of God. Because I want to tell you something. Guess what? There are hypocrites in church. Guess what? There's hypocrites everywhere. In fact, you're, gonna, you're more likely to find a hypocrite in the church than anywhere else. You're not going to find them. You're not going to find a hypocrite in the club on Saturday night. It is what it is. But guess what? They're not giving regard to the things of God either. We have, to, we, have to, we have to take responsibility for ourselves. But there's nothing quite like having people around us, being challenged and inspired by people around us who persevere, people who walk by faith, people who go through real stuff, and they don't quit. They don't stop. They keep moving. There's nothing like having people in your life who when they're hurting, and while they're hurting, and while, and while they're going through these great trials, they're still worshiping, and they're still honoring God. And I look across this room, and you're the greatest examples of that. People that have made up in their minds that no matter what happens, they're not going to look backward. They're only going to look forward. A couple Sundays ago, Kayla and I were in Dallas. We had to preach. I had to preach an anniversary service there on Sunday morning. By the way, that would have been one of the Sundays when you got out at 1140. Fixing, I'm fixing to quit taking these invitations because you people are getting spoiled. Noon, 12 o'clock. 12 o'clock is what time you get out of church. 
So next time George Bates gets up here and preaches and he finishes at 11.35 or 11.40, you just sit right there. Don't you move. You say, we, my pastor told me I'm not leaving till noon. So but anyway, we preached in Dallas and on our way home on that Sunday afternoon, we decided we'd stop by and see Granny Daisy. Most of you in this room know who Granny Daisy is. If you don't, that's my wife, Kayla's grandmother, her maternal grandmother. And she's been here to church many, many times before. And there's nobody more inspiring than Granny Daisy. And I wish I had time. Today, I don't, really don't have the time to do it. I've shared some of the story before. I wish I had time to share with you Granny Daisy's story that goes all the way back to when basically she was, she was, put, on a, she was put on a train by her I'll just say what it was, her worthless husband at the time with two little bitty babies, an infant and a toddler. And the infant was, was running fever over 100 degrees and he threw them on a train because he kicked her out for his girlfriend, put her on a train back to Texas with the two babies. And now she's struggling to get back home penniless, no money, two babies, having to take a train all the way back to Texas and come back home. And now to raise these two children, the, the oldest was the toddler, was the, was the little girl, and she would suddenly die uh, very tragically at, at age 17, and they would lose, she, would, she had to bury a 17-year-old daughter, and then one thing after another, she would, bury her, she would bury her father and lose a home to a house fire all within three months. I mean, just the story goes on and on and on of the tragedy and the, the hardship of someone. But if you ever met Daisy Granny, if you ever had one conversation with this woman, you would never know that anything like that had ever happened in her life. There, you will never meet anyone more positive than this woman. You'll never meet anyone that's more God-uplifting. This woman, this woman loves to preach. She would preach the house down if we let her, and she does it with one vocal cord. Nobody can talk more than this woman can. Nobody can testify of the goodness of God more than this woman can. Nobody loves to sing more than this woman can. Nobody loves to dance more than, and she don't care. She'll kick those high heels off, and she'll get up here and just dance across this stage. Granny Daisy, we love her. There is nobody like her. Somebody says, thank God for that. But, but, but no, I mean, I'm telling you, like, there is nobody that could do what Granny could go through what Granny Daisy went through and have the attitude and the spirit. I feel some of us, you know, we make a bad grade on a test and our world falls apart. And here's this woman who's been through the very hardest of the issues of life. You, you think of all the worst things that a person can go through. She's been through every single one of them in her life. And yet there's no one. You won't meet anyone on the planet more positive than this woman. Nobody loves to talk more than her. Nobody loves to preach more than her. Nobody loves to sing more than her. And guess what would happen to this amazing lady? She would contract a disease a few, a few months ago. It's a disease that's very akin to ALS. She's now lost the ability to speak. She can't even eat. She can't walk now. She can't do any of this. She's, she's, she's bound to a recliner. So we go by to see her. She can only communicate to us by writing on a whiteboard. And of course, she started telling stories on her whiteboard. Bruce and Laura went by and seen her that same weekend and prayed with her and spent time with her that weekend. Kayla and I are spending some time with her. I asked them to throw a picture on the screen if they have it today. There it is. So at the top of this whiteboard, she writes, she's, let, she's sitting in her recliner. She says, I can't walk. She says, I can't talk. She was, she was going to write something else. I guess she just decided, you know what, let me just draw a line here. And she said, I thank God I can see 2020. I can write. 
I can hear. I can think. That's inspiring to me. That's inspiring to me. We miss the future if we hang on to the past. Honestly, it's not just looking at the bad in our past that hurts us, but looking too long at anything in our past, whether it be good or bad, it will cause us to miss the future. Even when we sit here and reminisce, oh, the good old days. If we could ever go back to the good old, oh, remember when I had this, oh, if I could ever do that again, if we could ever go back there again. This is so hard, this is so tough. I wish we could get back to that place again. One of the big stories of the Old Testament is the story called the Exodus, the story of God's people leaving Egypt, heading to the Promised Land. And what was supposed to have simply been a 40-day journey, what was supposed to just be 40 days, ended up being a 40-year experience of going in circles in the wilderness. And God's intention was for them to just go through the wilderness, to get through it and to keep moving Forward. It would have been a 40-day journey had they done what they were supposed to do. But what they did was they got in the wilderness and they got stuck. They got in the wilderness and they started focusing on all the negative and all the bad in the wilderness. They got in the wilderness and they started looking back. They started rem reminiscing about what was good in Egypt. As if there's anything good about living in slavery. Try to imagine this if you can, the whole dynamic that's going on here. When they were in Egypt, they were slaves. God had provided a place for them in the promised land where they could have their own land, where, where, where they could build their own houses, they could raise their own, plow their own fields and raise their own crops, they could, they could raise their children in freedom and they could, they could pass on a great legacy. But now they're in that in-between stage. They're in that in-between place. They're in that wilderness place. They're in that confusing place that we all find ourselves in in this journey and in the in-between stage we're going to face things that will definitely influence us if we're not careful to turn our eyes away from the vision and the promises that God has for our future we're going to be tempted every single time so they're in that wilderness season and God's God is literally providing miracle manna from heaven can you imagine this? You wake up in the morning, you step outside of your tent, and there's fresh, brand new food on the ground waiting for you every single day. In fact, God was so faithful with this, and he was wanting to demonstrate his, his, his faithfulness in their life so much that he said, you know what, I'll give you this day your daily bread. That bread, that, that manna that fell from heaven in the morning, by the end of the day, it was rotted and it was no good anymore because God was saying, tomorrow I'm going to put new bread on your table. You don't even have to eat day-old stuff. I want you to know that I'm with you every day. And don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to take care of its own issues. I will provide for you again tomorrow. But literally, there is miracles miracle manna falling from heaven. Now granted, it might not have been steak and potatoes. It might not have been. And the truth is, they got tired of the manna. You know, sometimes we can get spoiled on the miracles of God. Sometimes we just get so, we just become spoiled, rotten kids is what we do. I'm speaking for myself. I get so spoiled on the goodness and the faithfulness of God and I'll start complaining about things and I'll start, I'll start praying for things that honestly I don't really need in my life. And that's the way it's going to be in our life sometimes. We'll start looking back at the old and as we're going to the new and we're moving into that new season, that new place, it's going to be so tempting to look back and say, well, you know what, at least back there, 
I know we were slaves, but back then it wasn't just manna. At least back then when our, when our, when our, when our, when our masters got all the part of the cow they wanted, they'd throw us the scraps and we got to eat a little red meat every now and then. And rather than facing forward and keeping their mind on where they were going and the promises of God and the hope and the expectation that God was going to do something great and big in their life, instead of doing this, they started reminiscing about the fact that they had this variety of food in Egypt. Out here, we're just getting this manna every day. But back there, man, we had vegetables and we had, we had meat every now and then. And they put their attention on the past and they got their attention focused on the past and it caused them to miss out on the future. We should not assume for one minute that we can be looking at our past and still experience all God has for us in our future. When we look back, we miss out. Not because God is not good and not because God doesn't want to do something great and grand in our lives. It's because we're always looking in the wrong direction. We've got our focus on the wrong thing. I think about it even in the church, in the Christian church today, especially in America, especially in the American church, and even more especially in the Bible Belt culture of Christendom and, and, and the church. People, people get stuck with their kind of church. That's my kind of church. That's, that, they do the kind of music I like. They, they sing the kind of songs I like sung. That's the kind of church I like. And, and it's the church, they're looking for the church that they want and they expect it to be. I don't know how many of you might remember when we made, finally made that shift, a lot of churches did. Not all, but some churches began to make the shift from the, from the choir robes and the hymnals to the praise and worship bands and teams and the overhead projectors. How many of you remember the overhead projectors? This was before we had the video projectors with somebody at a computer screen clicking. This is when you had like the old classroom overhead projectors. You had to print out the transparencies with the words on it because these songs weren't in hymn, they weren't in hymn books anymore. So, so you, all, you had to have a transparency changer. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, it was up here on the platform. And so you had to be really good. You had to be skilled at it. Because, you know, you could really mess that one up. You know, it could be upside down or inside out. And you had to make sure you had the words just right. I'm, for a little while, Edith, for a little while, I was the transparency changer. And I think you got to do it for a little while at our church. And, and I mean, it was an art. And it was a gift. You had to know how to do it. But I'm going to tell you something. That was, that was groundbreaking stuff. That was groundbreaking. We were singing songs that nobody had ever heard before. These, these aren't in our hymn book. They weren't in the Baptist hymnal. And they weren't in the Pentecostal hymnal either. They weren't in any of them. These were, this was new stuff. Some people would ask, well, what's wrong with the good old hymns of the church? You know what I tell you? Nothing's wrong with them. They are great. They are wonderful. And they were and they are life-giving. They did and they still do today bring great value to the church. But guess what? We have to acknowledge, guess what? They are new songwriters. And there are new and young people, new young people that God is pouring fresh vision into and giving new inspiration to. And God's breathing new life into this generation. So many of us, especially those of us who grew up, how many of you are products of the church? Like you just grew up in the church. You grew up sleeping underneath the church pew. Okay, you know what I'm talking about then. You, you, you know those of us, so many of us, we got very sentimentally attached to certain things in the church. Nothing wrong with that. It spoke to us. It, it ministered to us. But what happened was is emotionally and sentimentally we got attached to these things. 
But what happened is in those moments, we made those traditions of man and we made those styles and those methods. We built a shrine to them. And then we began to worship that. We, we became guilty of worshiping the style or the method or the tradition more than the God that it was glorifying. We started taking the tradition. Jesus called it the traditions of man. We started taking these things and we started elevating them to be the will and the plan and the word of God. And it was never intended to be about the style or the particular song or the choir robes or the hymnal or, or the praise and worship band or the drums. It was never intended to be about any of that. It was all intended about God breathing new life and doing new things in the hearts and lives of his people and us just being obedient to that and seeking him. But what happened was, was people got caught up in the stuff and they got stuck in the stuff. I'm so inspired. I, I know I need to be closing right now, but I, I'm so inspired by certain... I, I know I'm speaking of inspiration a lot today. And I look back here, and two of my, the most inspiring people in this church to me, of all the people here, I, is, is my dear, dear, precious people. I was going to say friends, but they're beyond friends. They're family. That's John and Audrey Tucker back here. Uh, they, they, they've, been, they've been day one people of Life Church. They were charter members of this church back when we were just a handful of people. And, 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 and now I, he's in his 80s. She's still in her 60s. But, but, but he, he robbed the cradle really, really bad. But anyway, that, he's in his 80s. And I want to tell you something. I know the type of church that he grew up in. I know, I, know, I know what their experiences were. A lot of them were the same as mine as a child. I know what speaks to them. I know, I, know what, I know what strums their heartstrings when it comes to worship and music. And I can tell you, they've never said this to me. They've never said this to me. And I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. I hope I'm not misrepresenting them today. But I can tell you, there is other styles of music and worship that I know ministers to them more probably than what we do here on Sunday morning. But I will tell you, there is no two people that are more supportive, that are more fanning the flame of what God is doing and wanting to be in the middle of and a part of all that God. You've never heard one word of criticism out of these two people. There's no people that says, there's no two people that says, oh boy, if we could ever do it that way again, if we could ever go back to that place, if you could ever, you never hear that. They're always fanning the flame of what God, the new thing that God is doing and seeing new life breathe. And that inspires me more than you know because they are an anomaly. This just doesn't happen. You don't have people like that. Start taking these traditions and we make them our God. We build a shrine with the traditions because it's all about looking in yesterday instead of looking forward and what does God want to do in our future. Ecclesiastes 7.10 says this, Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. Some people, really good people, are missing out on today and they're going to miss out on tomorrow. I think about some of our parents who, whose kids are moving into junior high school or high school or going off to college and they go into great mourning and grief. And, oh, I wish they were still three years old. I remember when they were three years old, a little toddler. And the only, only problem with that was is that when they were three years old, they were saying, oh God, I wish you'd grow them up and get them out of this house as quick as you can. I mean, and that's the greatest tool of the enemy to try to make us live in a whole nother season to live in a whole nother era it happens in the church and it even happens in our natural families but the Bible says do not say why were the former days better than these because if we think this way we're going to miss out on the joy of the 14 year old we're going to miss out on the joy of, of our brand new college student going off and endeavoring and to move into this new phase of their life. If we're always looking back at what, at what they were, we're going to miss out on the joy of today. If we're always looking at what it used to be like and what it, what it was like before in the past, 
And oh, I wish we were back there again. If that's our mindset, we're going to miss out on what God is doing right now, today, and what he's going to do in our future. Facing forward is to continue to do what God has called us to do. And I'm closing. Facing forward doesn't always mean that we're going to do something different. It doesn't always mean doing something different. Sometimes, oftentimes, it just means continuing to do what we've been doing. Don't stop. Don't change anything. And doing that thing with confidence and with faith, as we continue to do what we're called to do, I believe that God will continue to do His work in us. Philippians 1.6 says this, as being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The truth is that was wonderful in 1962. It was life-giving. It was amazing. And there's times even today whenever we reflect and it brings life into this day. But guess what? It's not 1962 anymore. You know, we have 9-11 days where we talk about the tragedy of 9-11. You know, it's a pretty sobering thought to me. In fact, when I see teenagers who were in high school who know nothing about that day. They don't know the gravity of that day. These are, these are fixing to be adults leading our future and running our businesses and, and pastoring our churches. They don't know the pain of that day. They don't know the suffering of that day. That's sobering. There are some things that we have to, we have to revisit sometimes. We have, to, we have to bring it back to our remembrance sometimes. But the thing is, we can't live there, though. The only reason to even look at it is to give us a little guidance and direction for the future to keep looking forward. It's not 1962 anymore. It's 2019. God's wanting to breathe new life. He's wanting to bring a fresh wind, new fire to our lives. Some of you across this room, Karen, Irwin, I already mentioned John and Audrey Tucker. There's others here today. Mr. Harold Netherlands back here. Who else was here from the Moe and Connie Thomas? They're over here. Uh, Julie and Michelle, before you knuckleheads came along. Uh, who else? Who else was here? From the, and, uh, the Birds and Laura Jackson and Glenn Fudge. And the, 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 uh, Molly, were you here? What's wrong with you? What were you waiting for? Y'all remember some of those great early days? I loved it. I mean, it was just a handful of, of us. For a long time, our church was like 50 people. It was awesome. And we had some of the most incredible days of just being in the presence of the Lord together. If somebody stumped their toe, we were all there. I mean, like the whole church just showed up. I mean, you have an ingrown toenail cut out. The whole church is in the waiting room. I mean, it just, I mean, just, I mean, it was, it was good. I loved it. I loved it. 17, a little over 17 years ago is when we started the church. What a great time. What a great season that was. You know what? It would be a temptation on some of our parts, those of us that, that I just mentioned and some others. It'd be a temptation on some of our parts to say, you know what? It'd be nice to go back to that place again. You know what? Sometimes now I walk in the room and I don't know half the people in there. Sometimes it even feels a little awkward and uncomfortable sometimes because we don't have that little close, intimate thing going on anymore like we used to. But I'm so thankful for these amazing people who didn't fall into that trap. 
They didn't fall in that trap to say, our four and no more. We like it like this. We, 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 you're, you're an outsider. We don't really want you in here. We, this, this is how we, 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 it feels good like it is. We, we, we like this. It's our little country club. We've had a little ad, you know, mutual admiration society. That's what we got here. But there's a group of people who said, you know what? No, we're not going to be satisfied with that. We're not going to be satisfied with us just having our little huddle here along Cedar Road. No, 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 no. We want to reach others. We, we, we want to share the love of Christ wherever we go. We want to see the kingdom of God grow. We want to see our church grow. We want to open the doors. We want to extend the tent strings. We want to say, whosoever will come, we want to love you. We want to nurture you. We want, we want to be a part of your life. We want you to be a part of our life. We want to, we want to walk with you. We want to grow with you. We want, we want to move forward. And now today we see we're moving forward as a church family. God is blessing and he's helping us reach more people than we've ever reached before. I thank God for the past. I thank God for every milestone and every step. But I also thank God for the present. But let me tell you something, folks. Those of you that's a part of this church family right now, I thank God for the future. I'm going to say, as a church, I believe we've only begun to scratch the surface. I believe we've only began to step over into the threshold of the destiny and the purpose and the plan that God has for us as a church to affect and infect our community and let people see and experience new life in Christ. Let the life of God be breathed into their life where transformation happens, where the Holy Spirit takes over and begins to control and rule our lives. And this be a life-saving place. This be a hospital for the hurting. I believe, I believe we're going to do much greater things than we've ever done in the past because we're not looking back. We're only looking forward. God's going to use you, and he's going to use me. He's going to use each and every one of us to be the instruments to do that. So let's continue what we've been doing, and let's do it with vision, and let's do it with faith. That's what facing forward is. It's continuing with fresh expectation and faith and confidence and living with a refusal to give in to the thoughts of yesterday and a refusal to dwell on the things of the past. It's insisting in our own hearts and our own mindset that I am facing forward. Would you stand with me today across this room? And let me just reiterate what Paul said to every one of us before we leave out of here today. He said, this one thing I do, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I'm facing forward. I'm facing forward to the things that are ahead. This morning, before we leave out of here, I want us just to have a time of ministry if we can. They're going to sing. we got a few minutes left before 12, okay? still going to beat the Baptist to the, to the restaurant, I promise. But we're going to have a time of ministry this morning. And this morning, I don't know what you walked into this room carrying today from your past. Regret, maybe? Shame because of the mistakes or the failures of yesterday? Maybe you're looking back at the successes of yesterday saying, oh, if we could ever, yeah, I wish I could, if we could ever go back. And today, God is saying, I want to breathe new life into heart. I want to breathe new, a new future. I want to breathe a new hope and a new vision into your mindset, into your, into your vision today. And I, want to, I want to invite you today to receive that. You can do it from the, from the place that you stand. You can, you, can, you can make the chair that's behind you uh, an altar and kneel. You can come to the front of this church. You can do whatever you want to do today. But all I'm asking you to do is open your heart up, open your mind up, open your eyes up. Let God do what only God can do and make a declaration today to say, I'm not looking back. I'm not looking back anymore. 
yesterday is gone. Tomorrow is what I'm looking at. My future is what I'm looking at because that's all that God's looking at. He's cast our past into the sea of forgetfulness. Now we must move forward. It's the greatest tool of the enemy to cause either one of, any one of us to begin to, to dwell on and focus on the mistakes and the failures of yesterday. God says, I want to do a new thing in your life. Let's let him do it today. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your peace. God, we thank you, Lord, for your promises. Your promises, God, and our promises are for tomorrow. Our promises are for our future. And so we declare today that we're not looking back anymore. We're not looking back anymore. We're only looking to you, and we're only looking to the future, what you want to do in our hearts and lives and in our families, in our homes, in our church, in our community. God, we believe there's great things. Lord, we believe that the latter will be greater than the former. And we're just trusting that and believing that. The latter rain is going to be poured out in a great way. And we want to be recipients of that. We want to be conduits of that for it to flow through us and touch the lives of those around us in Jesus' name. As we worship this morning, as we worship this morning, I invite you, let him do what only he can do. Let him renew. Let him restore. Let him bring fresh vision. Let him bring fresh wind into our hearts and lives today in Jesus' name.
to see him talk with no vocal cords. I don't see how that man gets a word out edgewise. That was a joke. It went over better in my head than it did in, in reality. But the Lord does miracles for us to inspire us to move forward and to keep walking with him and working for him. It's easy to get caught up with all the negative. But let us look to the Lord and, and see the Lord at work in our lives so that we can move forward to be all that he's called us to be. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you that you allow us to make mistakes and get tripped up. and You're still there with us, calling us forward and sometimes dragging us forward. Lord, we just pray that you help us to, to stop fighting and to just let go. Allow ourselves to be led by you and to move into the direction and to the places that you want us to go so that we can see you shine in our lives and in our world. Father, we want to lift you up. We want to shine your light, your love, your grace, and your glory in everywhere that we go. So, Lord, we just pray that you will forgive us of our sins. Help us to know that there's grace for us when we make mistakes, that we can stand back up and move forward with you. Again, we thank you for all your many blessings, but most of all, we're thankful for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. 